have your Bibles, I'm going to take my text this morning out of Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. My sermon is called The Waters of Life. What, that will make sense to you. My prayer is it will make sense to you uh, in just a few moments. Uh, early on in this message, we will, uh, we will talk about, because there's certain things that I know. And, and when I say that, I say it with humility because there's not a lot of things that I know. As a matter of fact, it seems like the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. Things I thought I did know, I realize that was just an opinion. I'm not really sure about it anymore. But there are some things that I know. And one of the things I know is we all kind of face the same things. That, that's why we should be more transparent than we are. B -b because we're all in this together. And, and we're all facing things that other people are facing. And, and, and that's what we're going to deal with this morning. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. Do you see that? I, I didn't make that up. The Lord created you. The Lord created you. You were not created by what you've been through. The Lord created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, this is what he says. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. Pay attention to that word because I'm going to come back to it at the beginning of this message. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Somebody say amen. And when you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. See, the, I'm talking about the, the waters of life. And, 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 and he's not discriminating here. He's telling us that we are all going to go through deep waters. And we are all going to go through rivers of difficulty. So, so we're in this together. Some of you haven't learned how to swim yet. And, and some of you are backstroking through this thing. But we are all going through deep waters. And we are all going through rivers of difficulty. And he says, when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Amen. So, so I want you, I, I'm going to pray for you that you're going to receive this word. I want you to pray for me that I'll be able to deliver it. I'm still deaf in my left ear. Uh, I'm, I'm certain I'm not contagious anymore. I have had more antibiotics in me in the past two weeks than uh, ever in my life, maybe an accumulation in my life. Uh, but I, my, my ear still has fluid in it, and they can't get it. I'm still taking decongestants, and I can't. Uh, so I'm still deaf in my left ear, and, and, and I'm having a difficult time not coughing sometimes when I get overly excited, although the anointing does strange things. I'll cough before and after the sermon and not necessarily during it, so uh, the anointing is a strange and powerful and mystical and supernatural thing. But uh, I want you to pray for me as I pray for you. Will we do that? Father, we love you today, and we, we, we want to receive this word that you have sent from us. I believe it's a word from heaven. I believe today that you have uh, given me this word so that someone might leave differently than they can. Came, that they will be changed in Jesus' name, that they will uh, receive today from heaven uh, a word that is going to encourage them uh, that the waters of life will not consume them or overtake them. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Mm. Without going uh, into a 
long dissertation about who Isaiah was at this point in his life. I just need you to know that Isaiah is addressing the nation of Israel. And and he's, he's trying to tell them that they're going to encounter some hard times. He said things aren't always going to be easy. As a matter of fact, he says, listen to the Lord who created you. The, the, the one who formed you. He says, don't be afraid. You don't have to tell folks to not be afraid if they got nothing to be afraid of. What, what he's telling them is, what you're going through right now and what's coming down the line is, is, is going to be something that is fearful if you allow it to be. But I, I want you to be prepared for it. So don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you now let's look at that word ransom because ransom means the release of property or a person in return for payment of a demanded price do you see that so here's what God is saying God is saying I have bought you with a price not only did I form you not only was I the God who created you but I have because of sin that that caused a disruption in, in the relationship we had, I have ransomed you. I, I, have, I have done what I need to do to get you back. In other words, church, you have new ownership. When, when, you, go to a, when you go to a salon or you go to a store or, or you go to a restaurant and there's a, a sign hanging in the window that says, Under New Management, you know that some things have changed. Maybe they changed the menu. Maybe they changed the hours. Maybe they did some decorating on the inside. But you know with their under new management that things have changed. And God is wanting you to know that you are under new ownership, so things are going to change in your life. It's not the same as it was back then because you've got new ownership. And, and, and here's what he's telling them in this scripture. No matter what you're facing now or in the future, it does not change who owns you. The, the, the hope that you have is this. It doesn't matter what you go through now or in the future. You belong to who you belong to. And according to the New Testament, nothing will snatch you out of his hand because the owner you have now is hold, uh, uh, powerful enough to hold on to you. Amen. So, so back in Exodus, God's people were living as slaves under Pharaoh. You remember that, right? But the Lord spoke to a man named Moses and told Moses to go talk to Pharaoh, the king. And, and this is what he said. He said, go tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. But Pharaoh kept them as slaves. Technically, they belonged to Pharaoh on earth. But heaven said, they're my people. So you need to understand that the enemy is not as in control of things as he would like for you to believe he is. Let me put it to you like this. The the devil doesn't own as much of you as he would like to convince you he does. Because God says, never forget who's in charge around here. 
the devil may be loose. He may be causing chaos. He may be causing confusion. He may be causing you pains. He may be wounding your mortal soul. But he is still my devil. And he is still under my thumb. And at the end of the day, I am still God Almighty. I have not stepped off my throne. I have not relinquished my power. I am still in charge here. Somebody say amen. Somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to be reassured of that. Because sometimes when you go through deep waters, when you go through troubled rivers, it seems like everything is out of control. I grew up, I grew up in the coal camps of southern West Virginia. And, and, and coming out of those coal mines would be these black, dirty, cold creeks that would run down and, and eventually hit a river. And wherever those, those, those black creeks would run into those rivers... Uh, the water would stop and just make a swirl hole, we called them. And the water would be deeper right there than it was anywhere else in that immediate area because the water just swirled. And that's where we wanted to swim. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. We didn't have no Nintendos back then. We, we caught crawdads in our bare feet and swam in sinkholes. That's what we did. That's swirl holes. That's, that's what we did. And, 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 and so when we were uh, swimming in that water, you couldn't see the bottom because the, the creek was so black from the coal that was coming out of the coal mines. But, you know, none of my babies was born with three eyes or anything, so I guess I'm okay. Uh, but, but we didn't know what we were swimming in, but we were swimming in it all summer and, and fishing in it. And, 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 and here's the thing about jumping into those swirl holes. When you jump in and you're over your head, you're at the mercy of wherever the water takes you. You lose control. When you're not standing flat-footed on the ground with your ability to, to keep your balance, you are under the, the mercy of wherever the flow wants to take you. And sometimes that's what troubled waters feels like. It feels like you are over your head. It feels like you are out of control. And it feels like that the flow is going to take you and bash you against the rocks or spit you out onto the shore in a location you did not desire to go. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That, that it seems like the water was up to here and I was praising Jesus, but then the water kept rising. Does anybody know what it feels like? And everybody around me seems to be having something to celebrate, but then the water keeps coming up and the water keeps... And before I know it, I am in over my head. And it's not the flow of the Holy Ghost that I'm in. It's the flow of troubled waters. It's deep. It's the deep water. And what God wants you to know through this scripture this morning is, even when it feels like everything is out of control, you've got to know who the one is that made the water in the first place. You've got to keep your mind fixed on the fact that even though the flow feels like it's going to take you, the flow cannot go against the will of the Holy God that is still holding you in His hand. That the devil can't do anything to you that Father God God has not already ordained for your existence. And if that's true, and if that's true, then let's look, at, let's look at what God does here when He delivers Israel. Because He delivers them through a demonstration of power. You remember the ten plagues. He shows up and shows Pharaoh who, who He is. And, and after they leave Egypt, God's people encounters three different bodies of water. I call them the waters of life. The reason I do that is because... They encountered these three bodies, and I think they're symbolic of the three bodies of water that you will also encounter. Number one, they came to the Red Sea. Do you remember that story? The Red Sea was an impassable, impossible situation where only a miracle of God was going to get them through. That, that's the Red Sea. After they got through the Red Sea, three days later, they've had nothing to drink. They come to the waters of Marah. 
Mm. Pay attention to that. Underline that word in your Bible. They come to the waters of Marah. They found water there, but the problem was the water was bitter, wasn't drinkable. So after three days of having nothing to drink, they finally discovered water, but they could not drink it. And the Bible, was, the Bible tells us that this water, the water of Marah, was given to them as a test. Oh, write that down. The waters of Marah was given to them as a test. And then, after they survived the test, they ended up at the twelve wells of Elam. And the Bible says there that they had more than enough. They had an abundance. Uh, uh, okay, I can tell me that some of you are not tracking, so let me, let, 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 let me. The waters of trouble leads to the waters of testing that leads to the waters of abundance. And as they encountered them in the natural, so you will encounter them in your spirit. The waters of trouble, the waters of testing, and the waters of abundance. Some of you are going to face the waters of trouble, and it's going to last a long time. Some of you are going to face all three of them in one quick season. There's no way for you to know how fast, how long, how hard each one of these are going to be, but you're going to face every one of them, so the best thing we can do is learn from their experience. Somebody say amen. I've got two things I want to teach you from these, from these three uh, waters of life. The first thing I want to teach you is that you will face bitter things that are put in your way as a test. It says the waters of Marah was given to them as a test. Say that out loud, as a test. Uh huh. It was given to them as a test. I hate tests. I didn't like them when I was in school. I like them even less now. I don't like tests. I don't volunteer for tests. And it was given to them as a test. There's a reason it says you give tests. Because nobody very seldom volunteers for them. Nobody's walking into the classroom saying, can we have one today? No, you give tests. You put people in situations where they have to show their work. Where they have to prove they have learned something. That's what a test is all about. And, and the Bible says that it was given to them as a test. But it was the waters of Mara, which means bitter. It was undrinkable. They could not... Take it. So, bitter things are going to be put in your life not to get you to quit, not to get you to surrender, but as a test. So, so I'm going to back my claim up with a story out of the Old Testament. There's a book in the Old Testament called Ruth. And there's a whole lot of preaching in this little book. Uh, it's, it's only four chapters long. You can read it in, in just a, a few moments. And, and, but it is a it is a plethora of sermons. And I'm going to start in Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read several verses, if it's okay with you. Ruth chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the days where the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine a famine, came on the land. Hmm? So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Say Naomi. Uh-huh. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. Don't worry about their names. They won't make it very long. They were Ephrodites from, from uh, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. 
when Imelech died, now Naomi was left with her two sons. Her two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. Told you they weren't going to make it very long. This left Naomi alone. Say alone. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Th- this is always. This is always when the waters start getting troubled. When you feel. Mm-hmm. This is always when the enemy realizes that he can get you into the flow of no good when you feel uh, alone. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah, giving them crops again. Your King James Bible says she heard that there was bread in Bethlehem. Pay attention to that. I'm going to come back to it at the end of this message. There is bread again in Bethlehem. And and she decided and her daughters-in-law to get ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Now jump down to verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited By their arrival. She's been gone 10 years, y'all. She's been gone 10 years. And here's what they said. Is that really Naomi? The women ask. The the women. It didn't say nothing about the men noticing her. Them women. This was probably the beauty parlor. I'm going to get in trouble on the day where we're dedicating babies to the Lord. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Why is is the women always noticing the other women? Listen, ladies, if he has not noticed that you went to the beauty shop and got your hair did, don't don't worry about it because I guarantee all the women have already taken notice that you changed your hairdo. Okay? All the, all the women have already paid attention that, oh, she done, she done changed something. She thinks she's all that. Never mind. I, I, that's... It, she, Is that really Naomi, the women said? And verse 20 says, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me, do you recognize that name? Do you recognize that from the waters? Call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy on me? So ten years ago there was a famine and Naomi's husband took her and their two boys away from Bethlehem and moved them down to Moab where they married two Moabite women. So they, they left not only their home, not only their relatives, but they left the place where they worshiped their God. They, they left Bethlehem. It, they, they left the place where God was and the worship from His people. And during those ten years, bad things happened. Did you, did you hear what happened to her? In a span of ten years, her husband died and both of her sons died. Can you Listen, I'm not going to cast disparaging remarks toward Naomi this morning. This woman is suffering. Let's be realistic. Sometimes we read the Bible like it's a far distant land. These are real people with real emotions. 
They're living through the same pain you're living through. And she, in the span of 10 years, has lost both of her sons and her husband. And she's far away from home. She, she left her homeland. She left her church. She left her family. She's left everything she was familiar with since she was a little girl. And now she's living in a far distant land. And the only people she has in her life are two foreign uh, daughter-in-laws. That's all she has in her whole life. And when she gets ready, when she hears that there is bread back in Bethlehem, she said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to live the rest of my life there and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to die there. I have nothing to keep me here. I'm going to go back home. One of her daughter-in-laws, she released them both. She said, neither one of you need to go. You're young. You need to stay here. Get remarried among your people. And Orpah kissed her and, and went back. But Ruth said, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your land will be my land. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and I'm going to follow you all the way. And, and all, all of these things that has happened to Ruth has left her bitter and broken. Does anybody relate? Am I, am I just spinning my wheels up here? Does anybody know how life can sometimes just leave you feeling bitter and broken? Like, like, like in the short span of time that hardships come against you, it can really, really Ring your neck. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and when she enters the city of Bethlehem, the Bible says she's met with stares and comments. Don't that make you feel even better? You're bitter and you're broken and now everybody's looking about at you and talking about you. And all these women say, Hey, I remember her. That's Naomi. She's came back home. Now what you need to know before I go on with my sermon is Naomi's name means pleasant. In other words, she was given a name that was supposed to bless her throughout her whole life. She's supposed to have a sunny disposition. She's supposed to be happy and joyful. She's supposed to be pleasant. But because she's supposed to be doesn't mean she is be. It's not how she's feeling. Her, her, her name was supposed to be a reflection of joy, but she does not feel very pleasant. So she stops everybody from calling her that, and she says, listen, and, and pay attention, I, I, I'm already preaching. She said, I have given myself a new name. It's not the name my mama gave me. It's not the name heaven gave me. I have given myself a new name, Mara, which means bitter. In other words, I have allowed the identity of the bad stuff that happened to me to label and dictate who I now am. I am no longer who I was called to be. I am no longer who I was positioned to be. I am no longer who I could be. I have decided that the things that have happened to me have been so bad, these terrible, tough times and these awful circumstances, I have allowed the hurt to define who I am and who I always will be. And we all know people who have done this very thing. Bad things happen to them, and they are still bitter about them. They impact their lives today because of things that happened back then. And, and, and pay attention. Pay attention that Bethlehem means house of bread. That means there's bread back in the house. The famine is over. Which means it's a blessed season. She left Moab and came back to God's blessing. 
but she can't even appreciate the blessing. What she, she's been waiting 10 years for bread to be back in Bethlehem. They left Bethlehem because of a famine, went down to Moab, been waiting 10 years to get back, and she finally walks back into the blessing of the Lord and can't appreciate it because she brought bitter with her. That shows me that you can go into a blessed church, be married to a blessed wife or husband, be having blessed kids, have a blessed job, but if you bring in bitter with you, you won't live your blessed life. And no wonder you feel like God has kept something from you. And it's not because you don't have it, it's because you can't see it because of what you brought with you when you came. Oh yeah, this is real talk. This is not this this is not some uh, fluffy uh, sermon out of a text where I'm just going to tell you a cute little story. No, no, we're going to get real here because we all do this. I have found I've lived enough days that I see exactly what I'm looking for. If I want to see the best in that woman, I will. You won't be able to talk me out of it. I'll tell you that she is the most powerful, faith-filled woman of God that I've ever met in my life, that she can speak and demons will tremble. If I want to see that in her, I will. But if I want to come home every day and see that she don't keep up with the house and she don't treat me right and she's not friendly enough and she don't smile enough and she don't rub my feet enough and she don't do this enough, I'll see that too. And I'll do it to you and you'll do it to me and you'll do it at work and you'll do it to God. You look for what you're looking for, and once you find it, you confirm what you already thought in the first place. You'll do it government. You, listen, I watched a guy one time do a video where he said, I guarantee I can find good and bad in whatever. There's information out there that will feed my confirmation bias if I wanted to. So he said, I'm going to do a research, and, 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 and he did a quick Google search. Coffee is good for you. And there it was. Coffee's good for you. And then he says, I bet I can find where coffee's bad for you. And he did research and coffee's bad for you. Whatever you're looking for, you can find the confirmation for it. I, I knew a man. I, I, I knew a man who loved the Lord. He, he was saved. He knew Scripture. By the way, he probably knew more Scripture than 90% of the people sitting in this room right now. He, he loved the Lord. But he, he, years and years and years ago, he'd been in the military and he was bitter about the military. And, and, and then he had worked for a big company, and, and they had done some things, and he was, he was bitter uh, about the way that they ran that company. And, and, and then his, his wife got sick, and, and she was real sick, and, and he was bitter about all the doctors because he, he didn't think anybody was taking care of her. And, 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 and things happened in his family, and, and, and the family was having trouble, and he was, he was bitter about that. And, and what that proved to me is exactly like Naomi. You can be in the house of bread with God's blessings and you can be so bitter that you don't even notice that the thing you prayed for has been showing up in your life and you don't even recognize you don't even recognize God's best for you because you have become so bitter that you are blind. Bitter makes you blind. It causes you not to be able to see your blessings. You can pray and pray and pray. She prayed for 10 years to get back. And when she showed up, they said, yay, Naomi's back. Let's have a party. We'll sell home interior. We'll have Tupperware. Somebody will make a cheesecake. And she says, no, no, don't do any of that. Don't, don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not her anymore. I'm Mara. I left full. But the Lord, pay attention, the Lord brought me back 
empty. And the thing I want to point out to you today is, even though she called herself that, nowhere in the Bible do you find anybody else ever referring to her as Mara. She, called, she renamed herself, but nobody else chimed in. Oh, let me help you. Let me help you on a week when we're supposed to be thankful. The people of Bethlehem refused to join in her pity party. And here's why. She come back saying, don't call me that. Life has been bitter to me and I come back bitter. She's talking to people who stayed during the famine. They didn't run down to Moab and eat Moab's food. They have lost their homes. They have lost their crops. Some of them have lost their children, their loved ones. In other words, they had been through some stuff too. And it is hard for you to make somebody feel sorry for you who has also been through what you've been through. I mean, they can empathize with you, but they just don't want to have no pity party. You know why? Because they're like, if I can come through this, if the same God that showed up and blessed me, he can surely show up and bless you. What do you want to have a pity party for yourself for? Those are the people that challenge you to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and do better because they say, I, if God brought me through, what do you think Paul meant over in 1 Corinthians when he said, the temptations you're going through, they are common to man. The stuff that's wanting to make you quit, the stuff that you're about to give into, the stuff that you are about to receive and accept, he said, there's other people already been through this and came out a winner on the other side. So, so don't you ever think that you can't. And that's why we need the body of Christ. That's why we need to be in church so we can encourage each other. When somebody falls down, we say, no, no, no. I fell down too, but I got back up. You can get back up. So, so, so they refused to call her Mara. And you know what? Heaven did too. Just because she named herself bitter, heaven didn't chime in. And there's a couple of reasons why you can't change your identity. You ready for this? Number one, who you are is not an accumulation of your misery. You are not a sum total of all the hell that you've been through. Because there's also been some good stuff. And you can't just add up all of the deficits and not also add up the additions. You can't allow the accumulation of wounds to define who you are. I may be sick right now, but I'm not an invalid. I'm still able to be anointed enough to preach the Word of God. So I'm not going to focus on the negative. I'm, that's not who I am. Because I recognize I may be discouraged sometimes, but I still find my strength that comes from the help that I receive from heaven. I, I may struggle in a season, but make no mistake, even though I'm struggling, I am not finished because He's got His hand on me. The second reason you can't change your identity is because your struggle doesn't change who God is. Uh huh. A great many of us allow our hurt to distort our view of God. Did you hear what Naomi said? Naomi said, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I left full. He brought me back empty. She said, it's changed the way I look at God. Don't raise your hands. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but some of you know how that feels. I know how that feels. I've been attacked before. 
and I'll be, I, I be questioning heaven. Yeah, I, I, y'all are so holy. Y'all came out of the womb speaking in tongues. It's not y'all. Y'all pray for the bishop. I'm not as holy as y'all are. But, but I have looked up at heaven and said, hey, God, this ain't fair. I did the right thing, and this happened to me. This ain't fair. And I don't know where you are or what you're doing, but I wish you was doing something to help me, justify me, make me secure. Do what your words say. Defend me like your word says that you will defend me. But the fact is, at the end of the day, no matter what is attacking you, God has never stepped off of his throne. He is either sovereign or he is not. And here's here's where I need to throw a gauntlet down. You cannot come up to the front of the altar and dance your Pentecostal jig when everything is raining blessings into your life and then fall apart when you go through some struggle. Because he's either God in the good and the bad or he's not God, God at all. And so many of us are so quick to give God glory for the good and then blame him for the bad. But he is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And we can't forget that even in bad times, as a matter of fact, can I exhort to you this morning, in the bad times is when you need to remember it the most, is that when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. That's that, that, when you face those bitter Waters. Number three, reason you can't change your identity, what happened to you does not make your decisions for you. So you can't blame what happened to you for who you are and what you do. Your decisions are yours. Naomi decided, I'm going back home. But she also decided, I'm going back home bitter. You can't but And then she blamed her circumstances for her decisions. Well, I lost a lot. I'm not diminishing your pain. But who you are and the decisions you make is more important than what happened to you. If I could get one message into you this morning before you leave this room, it is this. The decisions you are making right now are more important to who you are than what happened to you back then. No matter how many bitter situations Naomi faced, it never stopped her ability to walk out of Moab with Ruth. Why is that important? I'm glad you asked. Ruth means beautiful. So she walked out of Moab bitter with beautiful. You have a decision to make. You can walk out with bitterness, or you can walk out with something beautiful. The choice is yours. You can't allow your Moab season to destroy your destiny. God will do things backwards just so he can receive the glory. And this is the thing that you don't understand because he chooses the foolish things, the Bible says, to confound the wise, right? If you could figure God out, he wouldn't be much of a God. I've seen you try to balance your checkbook. If God did everything according to the way that you could understand it and you could comprehend it, he wouldn't be much of a God. But he, he takes the foolish things of the world 
to confound the wise. Sometimes God chooses to bless your failures instead of your successes. Oh, I wish I had a witness in this church. We like to act like God forgets who we are when He calls us. He knows exactly who you are. He knows how weak you were. He knew how spineless you was going to be. It did not shock him when you became faithless. It did not shock him when you lost your mind. It did not shock him when you showed that person in the parking lot your bird that you keep in your car. It shocked the preacher, but it did not shock the Lord. Oh, bless him, Lord. How does God achieve what he planted in you before you was born? The Bible says he knew you when you were in your mother's womb. How's he going to achieve those things in your life? How does he bring you into something that you would never attempt? Because most of us are too cowardly to attempt great things for God. How's he going to get you to do that? How does God make you see that you stopped short of your blessing? Before your mother and your father and your genetics and your circumstances ever happened to you, God went to the end of your life, came back, and called you to where he's already been. Do you understand the enormity of God? Do you understand that he knows the end of a thing before the beginning? That before he ever called you to be prosperous, he saw you. So if he put a marriage together and you're like, I do not know how this thing could ever work out. Do you understand he already went to the end of it and saw it work out and then came back and said, come on, you can do it. You can do it. I know you can do it because I've already been to the end of this thing. I've seen how this works out. Come on, come on, keep coming. I know you don't feel like your prayers is accomplishing anything, but I've already seen the cancer dry up. I've already seen the demons jump out the window. I've already seen your, your prodigal son and daughter come back. Come on, keep praying, keep praying. You can do it. You can do it. I've already seen the end of this thing. I know you can do it. I've already been there and come. I'm, I'm just here to tell you that I've seen it. I know what's possible. Yeah. So, 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 could it be that the thing that you feel like is persecution is actually promotion? Could it be that sometimes God has to pull you out of a current situation so He can direct you into what He wants for you? Could it be that the thing you think the devil is robbing you out of ain't the devil at all? Could it be that God is just getting stuff out of your way? And you think the devil is stealing stuff, but actually it's the Lord sanctifying you, my God in heaven. The Lord is getting stuff out of your life and folks out of your life that you don't need and you think you can't survive without them. And the Lord says, if I'm going to sanctify you and make you holy, i got to get this out and i got to get that out. I'm going to prune over here and get this removed. And the hardest thing for us to do is walk through these seasons because God doesn't watch our clock. He does not care if your calendar turned and it's too late. He doesn't care if you put him on a deadline. God, I need the money by the 31st. He does not operate according to your clock. So we're still learning... How not to be bitter when we're facing Mara circumstances. I told you I had two lessons. I gave you the first one. The second one is this. If you refuse to quit at the time of testing, there is a season of more than enough on the other side. Yeah. What, what, what do you mean by that, Pastor? God did not tell them how close... Those 12 wells of Elam was while they were standing in front of the bitter waters of Mara. In other words, 
you never know how close you are to your miracle. You can't quit because of life getting bitter with you. No, you did not think that by this age you would be divorced. Don't get bitter. I know you didn't think that by this age you had been evicted. Don't let it make you bitter. I know by this age you thought you'd be farther along in the company by now, but don't let it make you bitter. I know you, you raised them kids the right way, and you don't understand why they backslid and why they don't want to serve the Lord, but don't let it make you bitter because you have no idea how close you are to your miracle. That If you refuse to quit when life gets bitter, you are just steps away. You don't know it because you can't see it. When you're standing in front of the bitter water, you can't see the 12 wells of Elam, but you don't know how close. You are to a breakthrough, to a miracle, to a healing, to a sign, to a wonder. You never know how close you are. Don't quit now. Keep going because today might be your death. And if you don't believe me, just watch God's process, how he works in people's lives. Look at David. David was a king. You remember David as a king. But he started out as a shepherd boy. Do you think God made it up while he was going along? Do you think, do you think as he was going, oh, well, maybe I'll just turn him into a king? No. When David was cleaning up after the sheep, God already saw a king in him. So God knew David was the king the whole time. It wasn't, the challenge is not for God to believe it. The challenge is for David to believe it. See, the first thing you need to know about God's process is the kind of people he likes to promote. He promotes people who chase him. They may not have fancy degrees. They may not know how to pray eloquently. But if people worship out of desperation, those are the people that God likes to promote. People that stand at bitter waters and say, I don't care what hell I've been through. God has been too good to me for me to turn around and quit now. I don't care how many attacks are coming against me. I don't care about how they lie about me, scandalize my name. I may back down from people, but I'll never back down from my calling. I'll never back down from my God. I'm going to keep on keeping on. There is nothing too good for me because there's nothing too big for my God, and I'm going to keep on praising Him. If that's you, He likes to promote that those are the people he likes to promote because God doesn't promote quitters he likes to promote people who have been so far down they are scared to death to let go of the hand of God some people that remembers what rock bottom felt like and they don't ever want to slide that far again so they are scared to death to let go of the grip that God has on them. The second thing you need to know about God's process is that God sees it in you when nobody else does. I said last week, David's own daddy didn't believe in him. His brothers didn't believe in him. And then Goliath didn't believe that he could do it. But you have to know that God sees everything you need is in you. And he's developing it I don't believe that, Pastor. Then you haven't read your Bible because the Bible says that he will never put something on you you can't bear. He didn't say he's putting my weight on you because some of the stuff that I operate under would crush you. That's why he protects you. 
That's why he don't put on you what mama went through. That's why he don't put on you what somebody else went through. That's why my calling is not T.D. Jakes' calling because what's on him would crush me. He protects you. He loves you so much and he knows you so intimately. He only puts on you what you can bear because that's the only load you have to lift. Mama, that ought to let you off the hook this morning to quit carrying your children's burdens because he put it on them because they can handle it. He didn't put it on you. So, so, So the burden that you're under... That bitterness that you feel tempting you? He says, if you refuse to stop there, if you're disciplined enough to keep chasing me through the bitterness, there's healing on the other side. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm done. Y'all come up here and make me quit. 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know the story, right? There's a battle. Little red-headed, freckle-faced David. Going to face a nine and a half foot tall giant. And the Bible says in verse 40, he picked up five smooth stones. Where did he get them from? <coughs> Talk about the waters of life. Where did he get them from? Where do you get them from? It's not a trick question. It's right there. I I, I wasn't trying to, y'all like, I know you, Pastor. You are, you be fooling people. No, it's right there. Where do you get it from? Got it out of stream. The waters of life. We're talking about the waters of life. What, What he needed to bring down a giant in the future. He collected in the waters of now. But even worse than that, look where he was from a stream and put him into a shepherd's bag. Where did he put him? In his bag. He, he put him in his bag. Then, armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the what? Uh huh. The fight happened in the valley. You ever notice how the enemy loves to pick a fight when you're down in the valley? But but what Goliath didn't know was that you're not completely vulnerable in the valley. Oh, see, 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 I'm about to, I've preached all day to get right here. You're not completely unprotected in the valley. The valley seems dark, and it seems cold, and it seems relentless, and it seems like it's never-ending, and it seems like you'll never see the light of day again. But can I tell you that when you're in the valley, God prepares His people in the valley. How do you know that, Pastor? Because the weapon that released David's destiny was picked up when he was in the valley. He got it out of the waters of his life while he was down in the valley. He didn't find his weapon on the mountaintop. He didn't tithe on Sunday and get a bonus check on Monday. I wish I had a witness in this church. No, here's what happened. The lower David went, the more powerful his weapon became. 
I know it feels good when the blessings are coming. I know it feels great when the healings are there. I know it feels good to operate under the anointing of the Lord. I've been there. I love it too. But you don't understand that you don't get your most powerful weapons while you're on top of the mountain. The deeper you go, the farther down in the valley you find yourself, that's where your most powerful weapons are picked up to unlock what nothing else can unlock in your life. If the devil would have known what he was doing when he pushed you down in that valley, he wouldn't have pushed you down so low because the lower you got, the stronger you became. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Devil, you thought because I was in that valley I was done? Oh, you joker. You didn't realize I was collecting stuff. You didn't know that when I was down in this valley, I was finding strength. I was locating my destiny. You didn't know when I was down in this valley that I was picking up some overcoming confidence. You didn't know that when I was down here, I was finding my determination. I was learning how to pray and fast. And now my bag is full of stuff that's going to bring you down. You pushed me into this valley thinking I was going to die. But instead of dying, I got in the water of life and picked up a rock that's got your name on it. So to all my hurting people, all my wounded souls, all the people facing bitterness, you've been down, you've been in the valley, it's been dark, it's been cold, you've been in the flow of the enemy's attack, and you feel like everything is out of control. I want you to jump to your feet right now. I want you to jump to your feet right now. Because you feel like this attack has went on so long. It's been easy for me to get bitter. It's been easy for me to be overcome. I didn't realize that when I was down in this valley, I was collecting weapons. And now I got a sack full of victory. <laughs> if you refuse to get bitter at Mara, the wells of Elam, oh, abundance, overflow, more than enough are right around the corner. You know how many rocks I got in this bag by now? Every time they've lied about me, every time they've run me down, every time they've talked about this church. You know how many rocks I got in this sack? I've got some, The devil should have left me alone. He should not have messed with my kids. He shouldn't have messed with my ministry because he was pushing me down in the valley thinking I would die. He thought I'd get in that stream and drown myself out of sorrow and misery. But I refused to let bitterness get into my heart. And instead, I became empowered. And when I come up out of this valley, devil, I got a rock with your name on it. My God in heaven. So every person in this room that's been feeling weak, you've been feeling wounded, but today you've realized that what, what happened in you is more important than what happened to you. I want you to come up to this altar this morning. And you might kneel or you might just stand and hold your hands to heaven. But I feel victory up here, and I want you to feel it too. I got a sack full of victory up here. 
the devil thought he was putting a tombstone up over my valley and he didn't realize I was coming up out of that valley with a sack full of victory. I got rocks with the devil's name on it. Some of you need to come up out of that valley and realize that he gave you everything you needed while you was down. It was dark. You was de you fought depression to get here. You fought anxiety to get out of the house and even come to the house of God today. Some of you have been through breakups. Your marriage has ended. Your kids won't speak to you. You lost your job. You're filing for bankruptcy and you have felt so low and so depressed and bitterness has wanted to come in and set up but you're going to take a stand this morning and say I will not let bitterness get into my heart I'm going to, res I'm going to resolve that today I'm going to have victory in Jesus name I'm going to pick up a weapon today that is going to overcome every devil that I fight I will not I will not go down into the valley and die there. When I come up out of this valley, devil, you better run. Because I'm picking up rocks. I'm picking up rocks. Every person at this altar this morning, you're picking up rocks. I speak prophetically over your life. You are picking up rocks. And the devil should not have messed with you. I speak prophetically over every person gathered in this altar. When you rise from this altar, you're coming up out of a valley. You have no idea how close to your breakthrough you are. You're collecting every weapon you need in the spirit.